Hello and welcome to the Fit to Transform podcast, where you learn how to train and diet effectively and, most importantly, how to maintain those results for life, once and for all. I'm Nikias Tomasiello, a transgender training and nutrition coach working online with anyone who's ready for a true lifestyle transformation anywhere they may be in the world. As a friendly reminder, any and all information provided is for educational purposes only. You should consult with your doctor before implementing any changes to your diet and exercise program. With that disclaimer out of the way, thank you for being here. Now grab yourself a cup of tea or pre-workouts and enjoy. Yo, welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm recording my first Q&A episode covering four super interesting questions that I got from my transformation Kickstarters, my one-on-one coaching clients, and my social media platforms. For those who don't know, Transformation Kickstart is my six-week online group coaching program for fat loss. And if you want to register your interest for the next intake, do so via the link in the show notes. The two main themes of today's questions are nutrition in general and fat loss. So without further ceremony, let's get into the first question. I've always struggled to stick to a diet because I like to eat. And whenever I diet, I'm always feeling snacky. First of all, thank you for the question. This is a common struggle for most people who have found historically fat loss to be challenging. And these are the tips that have most helped my clients overcome this hurdle. First of all, consider your meal structure. I find that most people who struggle with hunger during the day have a haphazard meal structure, or they would say they don't have a structure at all. So your first step is going to be to plan a meal schedule. And whenever I say meal, I also mean snacks. Essentially, what you want to do is decide how many meals you want to have during the day. So think about this. How many meals do you need in a day to feel satisfied so that you don't have sudden energy crashes and you're reaching for a pack of cookies? And also so that you're digesting relatively well and you don't feel full to an uncomfortable degree throughout the day. For example, some people love to have three big meals with no snacks, whereas some people prefer smaller meals and one or two snacks added on top of the three standard meals that are breakfast, lunch and dinner. Now, long before I became a personal trainer and online coach, I actually fell for a myth related to meal frequency, whereby I thought that having more meals per day would stoke your metabolic fire and actually be better for fat loss. But research has shown that three to six meals seem to have pretty much the same effect on fat loss, meaning that you are going to lose fat as long as you're in a calorie deficit. So don't worry about eating more or less frequently and which one is is better for you. What's best for you is the meal frequency that enables you to digest food well, not feel uncomfortably full, and also not feel extremely hungry at various points in the day and experience energy crashes because of that. Now, once you've 
chosen your preferred meal frequency, try to create a meal schedule where you're scheduling every meal within about a two hour time frame. For example, you could say that you wake up at seven and you want to have meal number one between seven and nine a.m. Then you want to have a mid-morning snack, so that will be 11 to 1 p.m. Then you're going to have lunch between, let's say, 2 and 4 p.m. Let's say you'd like to take a late lunch. Then you don't have any snack because lunch tides you over until dinner, and then you eat between 6 and 8 p.m. This is completely made up on the spot. I'm not saying that this is how you need to eat. It's just an example to show you how to schedule your meals within this two-hour time frame. Again, the two-hour time frame is not magic. It just tends to give people a bit more flexibility than a single hour. Eating regularly helps hunger because you can actually get your body to get used to release hunger hormones at certain times of day. Interestingly, hunger and satiety hormones, so the hormones that regulate when you feel hungry and when you feel satiated, follow a cyclical pattern, one of the many cyclical patterns in the body, which are known as rhythms. In particular, the hunger satiety rhythm is known as a circadian rhythm because it repeats itself every 24 hours, about just about, because um, circadian comes from circa die, which is the Latin term from around or about a day, so the 24-hour cycle. So since the body follows these patterns, if you also create a regular pattern of eating for yourself, you are creating harmony between your body's natural state, which is that of following patterns, and your own routine. Now, depending on your lifestyle, depending on your job, it might not always be possible to eat regularly, but making an effort towards this will at least ensure that one meal, two meals a day can be had around a similar time. And that will make a massive difference to having all of your meals all over the place. Once you've sorted your meal structure, you want to look at the quality of the food that you're eating. As I've literally just said, eating in a caloric deficit is your top priority to lose body fat. However, the quality of food in your diet is also important, particularly for health, but also to manage hunger. The most important point I want to make that is going to apply to you, especially if you're starting a fat loss diet for the first time, or you're trying to start your last diet after other unsuccessful attempts, is that you don't want to keep eating exactly what you've been eating until now, because what's going to happen is that in order to create a caloric deficit, you are going to have to reduce the portions of what you're eating right now in most cases. Because if somebody has struggled with fat loss for a long time, likely your nutritional habits aren't the best. Maybe you eat a lot of fast food, a lot of common snack foods like cookies or chips and other foods that are high in calories and low in nutrients. 
If that's the case, if you need to reduce how many calories you're eating and these foods are all really high in calories, the only way to go about it is to either cut them out completely or reduce the portions to a point where you're eating a meager amount of food. And there is a physical component to hunger because we have some stretch receptors in our stomach which basically sense our stomach stretching in response to food filling it and they send a message to our brain saying hey stop eating because the stomach is completely full now. If you're eating a very small amount of food, those stretch receptors are not going to send this signal, so you're going to keep feeling hungry because you're eating very small portions. And from a psychological perspective, nobody enjoys having a tiny plate with a tiny portion in front of them. It's going to drive you to want to eat more. So instead of keeping your diet exactly the same, you want to think about adding to what you're eating right now instead of taking away from it. And when you're going to add foods, you're going to focus on adding foods that can increase your satiety and reduce your hunger. And these foods are foods that are high in protein and fiber because these two nutrients have been found to be two of the most satiating nutrients. There is research proving this. And in addition to this, you also want to add high volume, low energy density foods. And this is just a fancy way of saying you want to find foods that have a small amount of calories per serving. To give you an example, let's say that for lunch, you're going to have 400 calories. Now, if you were to eat a McDonald's burger, that's all you would be able to have. A small McDonald's burger is going to contain between 350 and 500 calories. So that covers you for for lunch. However, if you were going to have 400 calories just from spinach, you would be eating a couple of pounds, if not four pounds just from spinach. Now, which meal is going to make you feel more satiated? Four pounds of spinach or a tiny McDonald's burger? Obviously the spinach. Now, this is a massively inflated example, I am not recommending you to eat four pounds of spinach because that's going to wreak havoc on your digestion. However, a salad, a reasonably sized salad with chicken breast and some rice would be a 400 calorie meal that's going to be much higher in volume, so it's going to be a much bigger portion, but it's going to contain just as many calories as a tiny McDonald's burger. If you've never heard of high volume foods, don't worry, Google will sort you out. In addition, these foods are pretty easy to find because they're not completely different foods from the high fiber and high protein sources that are recommended first. In fact, many high fiber and high protein foods are also high in volume, especially when they have a high water content and or a low fat content. For example, in addition to whole grains, fruit and vegetables that are really high in fiber or um, chicken breast and other low fat protein sources, soup and stew are also really good high volume options because being high in water content means that they're lower in energy density, so they will contain a smaller amount of calories per portion. My final suggestion 
to help feel less hungry, less snacky all the time and be able to stick to a diet is to create the right environment to make this happen. First of all, especially when you're starting out and your habit of being consistent with your diet isn't very strong, at least temporarily, I suggest hiding or getting rid of high calorie, less nutritious food. And I strongly recommend replacing these foods in the house with healthy food that you put in plain sight. For example, if right now you're keeping a box of cereal on the kitchen counter, put the cereal somewhere you can't see it and replace the box of cereal with a basket of apples so that when you get into the kitchen, you're not reaching for the cereal, you're reaching for an apple. This may sound silly, but environment plays a huge role in whether we're able to stick to a diet or not. So don't underestimate this. It might also sound a bit over the top. Oh, you're telling me I should throw away food. And again, I'm only recommending this approach in the very beginning when your habit of being consistent with eating healthy food and sticking to a diet isn't strong yet. Now, some people need to be very honest with themselves and accept that they might need to keep these high-calorie, low-nutrient foods out of the house all the time because they might be the type of person who just can't stop once they start eating some of these foods, whereas other people once they've developed a strong habit of being consistent with their diet, will be able to reintroduce some of these foods in moderation. So you just need to know yourself to ask yourself the question, can I have these foods in the house or can I not? And you need to be able to make that decision for yourself. Another way to control your environment is to bring your own calorie-controlled healthful snacks to work so that you don't feel like snacking on donuts, biscuits, cookies, and other office food. Finally, your social circle is also a component of your environment, so surround yourself with supported friends and family members. You're always going to have that one friend or that one family member who's uh, going to be like, oh, but why don't you have just this piece of cake? It's not going to ruin your diet. It's just a piece of cake. You want to minimize the number of people that are going to offer you or push food on you that isn't fat loss friendly. Another way to surround yourself with supportive people is to join an online group coaching program to make friends who have the same goal, like my Transformation Kickstart program. Just saying, shameless plug. Now, these are, in short, the best tips that my clients have found to be most helpful for them when they're feeling always hungry and snacky and they struggle to stick to a caloric deficit. So again, first of all, consider your meal structure, then look into the quality of the food you're eating, and finally, create the right environment to be able to develop a strong habit of being consistent with your diet. Thanks again for the question, and I hope that this insight is helpful. Question number two, do you need to track all of your macros, namely protein, carbohydrates, and fat? The short answer is no. This is the long answer. The more nutritional targets you try to hit, the harder the diet becomes. So the less experienced you are with being successful with a diet, the simpler you want your diet to be. Therefore, when somebody is starting out, my recommendation is to start as simple as possible. 
choose one target and make it your top priority. For the goal of fat loss, the top priority is calories. So if you're very new, start by just sticking to a calorie target. Now, when someone becomes more and more experienced and they're working with me as an online client, I also incorporate one or a maximum of two extra nutrition targets. The first target I tend to incorporate is protein because it helps with muscle growth and maintenance. It helps with recovering from your workouts and it helps with satiety. And the third and usually last target I would assign to a client is a fiber target for digestion, general health, and again, to help with satiety. If you want to learn more about how much protein I would recommend and how much fiber I recommend, go back to episode three, which is one of the episodes in the No Quit Kit series on retraining your mindset for fat loss success. In that episode, I covered exactly how to set these targets. Now, other than calories, protein, and fiber, I don't often find myself assigning fat and carbohydrate targets to my lifestyle clients. And these are clients that are not athletes. They just want to get healthier, build a bit of muscle, lose a little bit of fat. The reason why I don't necessarily assign a fat and a carbohydrate target is that I find that they're overkill if you're not an athlete. However, I'm not saying that you should never try to hit fat and carbohydrate goals. In particular, these are three scenarios that I'm thinking of off the top of my head that might require having either a fat or a carbohydrate target. The first scenario is if you're dieting on really low calories, in which case I would want to keep an eye on how much fat you're eating because you do need some fat in your diet for general health, for hormonal health, for your skin, your nails, your hair, and other physiological processes. And normally, I would recommend a minimum of 20% of your total calories coming from fats, or a fat minimum target equivalent to 0.3 grams of dietary fat per pound of body weight per day, or 0.5 grams per kilogram of body weight per day. Again, these are minimum targets that I would recommend for general health. But I only find that this is necessary when calories are very, very low or when someone is preparing for a photo shoot or for a bodybuilding competition. So if you've just started a diet and your calories are relatively high because you've only just cut calories from maintenance, you probably don't need to worry about this just yet. Another scenario in which I would assign a fat target is if someone really loves dietary fats. The reason being that above this minimum required for health, I don't think that a high fat diet is as beneficial as a higher carbohydrate diet for the purpose of physique development because carbs fuel workouts and help with recovery, whereas fats have other roles in the body that have little to do with physique development. So once you're hitting your minimum fats for general health and to keep yourself satiated as well, then I don't see a reason to go gung-ho with your fats. So if I realize that that's 
what a client was doing at the expense of their carbs to the point where their workouts were starting to suffer, then I would introduce a maximum fat target for that person to make sure that we're still having a reasonable amount of carbs to power workouts and to recover from them. On the other hand, there are two scenarios in which I would recommend a carbohydrate target. The first scenario is if you're an endurance athlete, and endurance athletes tend to need a lot more carbohydrate than the average person, especially if they do multiple endurance sessions per week, and often they will do some resistance training sessions on top of that. So they are likely to undereat carbohydrates in a lot of cases because doing a lot of endurance training actually tends to blunt appetite. So they might not want to eat very much, in which case I would keep an eye on their carbs to make sure that they're fueling them themselves properly. And the final scenarios in which I would recommend a carbohydrate target is if you're the odd person who really hates carbs. And I mean, do these people even exist? I'm not sure. But if you're eating poverty carbs, again, this isn't great for recovery from training and for fueling your training. So I would recommend a minimum target of at least one gram of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight, or at least half of a gram, 0.5 of a gram per pound of body weight per day. Hopefully that answers the question exhaustively. I do have an article on which macros to track and why I would recommend to track them and when, and also how to calculate your macros. It's called Macros One-on-One -on -One, and it's available for free on my blog. So you find a link to this in the show notes. Question number three is the billion dollar question that all of my vegetarian and vegan clients always ask me. How do I eat more protein as a vegetarian or vegan? First of all, I am going to cover the boxes you need to tick to make sure that the protein you're eating is actually benefiting your body. We eat protein in order to maintain muscle or grow more muscle mass for the most part, although protein is essential for life because it is the building block of most bodily tissues. However, the average person knows to eat more protein generally because they want to build muscle. Now, in order to build muscle, what protein does is it spikes muscle protein synthesis or MPS. Muscle protein synthesis is the creation of new muscle protein. However, you can just eat five grams of protein and expect a spike in muscle protein synthesis. In order to maximize the size of that spike and therefore make the most of it, you need to hit your daily protein target. The daily protein target, according to research, is the most important target. I want to make this point because I'm also going to give two other recommendations, but these are less important if you're not hitting your daily protein target first. The second recommendation is that to maximally spike MPS throughout the day, you want to have at least three servings of protein, each containing 0.4 to 0.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. Now you don't need to do some really complicated math every time you want to eat a meal because this amount usually works out to be 20 to 40 grams of protein per meal. So if you have three meals per day 
at the very least, each containing 20 to 40 grams of protein, you are going to spike muscle protein synthesis effectively. But again, if you're not hitting your daily protein target overall, these spikes are going to be less effective than they would. For example, if your target protein is 120 grams for the whole day and you're having three meals, if those three meals only have four, 20 grams of protein each, 20 times three is 60. So that's half of your total target. You will need to have at the very least 40 grams of protein in these three meals in order to hit your target. So the minimum number of meals is three and you can have up to six and three to six meals containing 20 to 40 grams of protein seem to have pretty much the same effect on muscle protein synthesis as long as you're hitting your daily protein targets. Less than three protein containing meals and more than six tend to have some issues. So my recommendation is to stick with three to six. The final recommendation is that in order to adequately spike muscle protein synthesis, your protein servings need to contain all of the nine essential amino acids. And these are called essential because the body can't produce them and we can only get them from the diet. And these amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein, also need to be present in your protein meal in the right quantities. And this variety of amino acids within the protein source that you're eating is called amino acid profile. So these are the three daily boxes you need to tick to make the most of the protein you're eating. Again, you want to hit your daily protein target, most important of the three. You want to have three to six meals containing 20 to 40 grams of protein each. And you want your amino acid profile to be complete so that your protein servings contain all the nine essential amino acids in the right quantities. Two of the greatest challenges of vegetarians and even more so of vegans is to, one, to eat enough protein in one day and two, to make sure that the amino acid profile of this protein is as complete as it can possibly be. Now, I have a ton of vegan and vegetarian clients who are making a lot of gains. So clearly there are ways to overcome these hurdles. And in fact, I have two main suggestions. The first suggestion is ensure that you're having a source of protein at, with every single meal and snack, and you want to eat mainly complete protein sources. So protein sources with a complete amino acid profile. Now, if you're vegetarian, this is going to be a lot easier than if you're vegan because most animal-based protein sources have a complete amino acid profile. Me meat, fish, eggs, and dairy are all fantastic. So if you're vegetarian and you still eat eggs and dairy, you're pretty much sorted. Protein powder also tends to be a complete source of protein if it's whey or casein protein, which derives from milk. Now, it's a little bit more difficult if you're trying to get all of your protein from plant-based sources, but it's not impossible. And the following are the protein sources that have a complete amino acid profile and are also plant-based, which I recommend to all of my vegan and vegetarian clients. First, soy protein. 
Soy is a complete protein source. So soy products, soy protein powder, these are all fantastic choices. And when I say soy products, I mean edamame, tofu, tempeh, and a type of protein source called textured vegetable protein, or TVP, which is available in America and more rare in the UK, as far as I'm aware. It's made of defatted soy flour, so it's again a complete source because it derives from soy. Vegetarian corn, corn spelled Q-U-O-R-N, is also complete because one of its components is egg white protein. And again, eggs are a, an animal-based protein source, so they contain complete protein. Nutritional yeast tastes and looks kind of like parmesan, I'm told, and it's a very easy way to sneak some complete protein into your meals. You might not want to use it as your main source of protein for that meal, but if you sprinkle some on your meals, you're going to be able to add a little bit of protein. As for plant-based protein powder, I recommend soy isolate protein and a vegan blend of pea protein and brown rice protein, which contains 70% pea protein and 30% brown rice protein, because this type of blend has been found to be of a very similar quality to whey protein, which is considered a gold standard for protein powder because it has a complete amino acid profile. Now, these aren't a lot of choices, and that's why my second recommendation is that you can, and in fact I would say that you should, still use incomplete protein sources in order to hit your protein targets. These incomplete plant-based protein sources are Satan, so not Satan as in Lucifer, but Satan spelled S-E-I-T-A-N, which is a type of protein source that derives from gluten. So if you are gluten intolerant, you want to be careful with it. Other incomplete sources of protein include beans, legumes like lentils, grains like quinoa, amaranth, buckwheat, and soba noodles and high-protein cereal, bread, and pasta. Be creative here. Think of your staple foods, like your staple cereal, your staple bread and pasta, and look up alternatives that might have more protein, like, for example, lentil pasta. To make the most of incomplete protein sources, you want to combine a variety of them in your meals and also throughout the day, because this way you can make up for their amino acid deficiencies. So ideally, you want to combine sources that have a compatible amino acid profile. For example, if one source is low in one amino acid, the other source will be higher in that amino acid and lower in an amino acid that the first source contains in abundance. I actually have an article titled Vegetarian-Friendly Protein Hacks on my blog, again, link in the description, where I posted a table listing some examples of combinations of compatible incomplete protein sources, but Google is your best friend. You can Google these incomplete protein combinations and you'll find a lot of results coming up. Hopefully this helps all of the vegan and vegetarian listeners. I do intend to do a deep dive into vegetarian and vegan nutrition, so look out for that episode. Stay tuned, keep following the podcast, but hopefully this 
already gives you a lot of food for thought, pun very much intended. Question number four, which is going to be the final question for the day. How do I eat more fiber? Here I have five steps. Step number one, again, Google is your best friend. Simply Google high fiber foods. There are a gazillion listicles titled something like 15 most high fiber foods um, and so on and so forth. Those are really useful. Find one of these listicles and make your own list of high fiber foods that you like or that sound good to you even if you've never tried them before. In general, fruit, vegetables, potatoes and whole grains all contain a good amount of fiber as well as plant-based protein sources tend to be much higher in fiber than animal-based protein sources because fiber is a plant. So your whole meal and whole wheat, pasta and bread, whole grains like quinoa and couscous, these all contain a lot of fiber, but also edamame and other soy products contain a reasonable amount as well. That's why, in fact, my vegan and vegetarian clients tend to never struggle hitting their fiber targets. Step number two, consider your current food staples and replace some of these with high fiber alternatives, the ones I've just mentioned. Like, for example, very simple, swap your standard pasta and bread for the whole meal counterpart or whole wheat counterpart. You can also add new foods that are high in fiber. For example, adding a bunch of raspberries to your snacks or your meals is a really good idea when you're choosing which fruit you might want to eat because raspberries are pretty high in fiber for fruit that's also high in water content and low in calories. So it's a pretty good idea, especially during a fat loss phase. Oats are very popular in the um, Anglo-American world. So if you're eating oats, happy days, oats are actually quite high in fiber. So they are a fantastic staple. Step number three, my recommendation is to try not to rely too much on fiber supplements, which I know are quite common in America. I normally like to recommend lifestyle changes to your diet first, and only once you've exhausted these, you would turn to supplements, because supplements can complement a healthful diet, but they can't replace it. And the reason for this is that Broadly speaking, supplements are artificial. Now, this isn't a bad word. It simply means that we make them. And for this reason, they can't always exactly replicate the way that nutrients interact within food that we eat. For instance, most supplements will isolate one or maybe two nutrients, whereas these will be found together with other nutrients in uh, standard food and the fact that these nutrients are isolated can affect the way we digest, absorb and make use of these nutrients. So all of this is to say try to up your fiber intake with food first and if you're struggling, if you have a legitimate digestive issue that you're talking to your doctor about and they're recommended a fiber, recommending a fiber supplement, then that's when I would think of introducing it. As opposed to, oh, I got a fiber target from my coach, so I'm going to buy a fiber supplement. That's not how I would go about it. Step number four is to do your best to get your fiber from a variety of different sources because fiber isn't just one nutrient. 
there are actually different types of fiber that have slightly different benefits for the body. So without becoming a food scientist and learning all about these various types of fibers, keep in mind that they exist. For example, one type of classification divides fiber into soluble and insoluble fiber. So make an effort to get fiber from a variety of sources, from beans, from uh, oats, and from other foods as well throughout the day. I want to point this out because nowadays there are some products that are really high in added fiber. So this fiber doesn't occur naturally in these products, it's added in the manufacturing process and therefore they are much higher in fiber than their standard version. And I'm referring to protein bars, protein ice cream, high fiber, low calorie tortillas and bread type food, konjac noodles. They contain honestly a shit ton of fiber and they can be really filling when you're on low calories because you're following a fat loss diet. But I recommend against relying exclusively on these for your fiber intake because again, they tend to have fiber added to them in the manufacturing process and it tends to be just one type of fiber. And the second reason is that when I said that they contain a shit ton of fiber, I was saying so a bit tongue in cheek because they have so much fiber, even in a relatively small portion, that if you have too many of these products, you're going to wreak havoc on your digestion which is a good segue into the final step, which is don't go gung-ho with fiber. Your body needs a bit of an adjustment period when you increase fiber, so you don't want to go from zero to hero in a single day, or you could end up with some pretty unpleasant results, such as, namely, diarrhea. And you don't want to be on the toilet for three days because you took your fiber from 10 grams per day to 50 grams per day overnight. What you want is to first start tracking your fiber to work out how much fiber you're having today without making any change and then work on increasing it by about five grams every day or every week, checking with yourself that your body is digesting well and that you're not feeling like going to the toilet a billion times a day. And if this is all good, then keep adding these five grams until you're hitting the targets that you know you need to hit. And if you don't know how to calculate your fiber targets, go back to episode three and uh, that episode will teach you how to work it out. Once you're hitting that minimum fiber targets and you're digesting well, you don't need to keep increasing, obviously. A bonus step that works really, really well in my clients' experience. They tell me that whenever they follow that piece of advice, all of a sudden their fiber is falling into place and they're also feeling much more satiated throughout the day, is this. You want to eat every day one can of beans and one huge salad. Two clients of mine who come to mind who are absolutely smashing this are Lucas and Claudia. Again, Claudia has joined Transformation Kickstart and Lucas has been a long-term one-on-one client for over six months now. Lucas has a can of beans with every breakfast religiously and he's lost 17 pounds in about three months of dieting. Whereas Claudia struggled with her 
initial calorie target in week one of Transformation Kickstart, switched to having a can of beans on toast with every breakfast and a huge salad every lunch. And she managed to keep up with her calorie targets ever since. She's been losing weight like a pro. And she actually told me that she forgets to eat despite being in a caloric deficit because she's so full. And this is incredible because when she started Transformation Kickstart, she told me that she was worried that she'd feel always hungry and always snacky as she had during previous unsuccessful weight loss attempts. So if you want proof that this works, here it is. Clearly, if you have issues with beans or problems with some salad vegetables, don't follow this to the latter, always do what's best for you. But if you can, this is a fantastic approach to changing your diet. Once again, these were all super interesting questions. Thank you to everyone who posed them to me and gave me the opportunity to share them on the podcast. Now, in closing, as per usual, you can sign up for one-on-one coaching with me if you're interested, since right now I'm still taking on new clients. You find a link to the application form in the, in the show notes. And once you fill out the application, if you pass the initial screening, then I'll invite you for a free video consultation to chat about your goals more in depth. Alternatively, you can register your interest in the next intake of Transformation Kickstart. Once again, the link is in the show notes. All you do is give me your email address. I won't add you to my newsletter. I'm simply going to add you to a list of people who have registered their interest. And when I'm going to start advertising Transformation Kickstart, I'm going to send you a single email saying, hey, if you want to sign up, do it now. You'll be the first one to know before anybody else. So don't miss out on this opportunity. And finally, you find a link to all of the blog articles that I referenced in this episode as well. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you for listening. Lastly, if you want to support the podcast, and help me reach more people, please leave a five-star rating or review on any podcast platform that you're using. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll speak to you soon.